What's your problem? What is your solution? How do we want our lives to change beyond the COVID-19 virus crisis? That is the question of this special series of Camp Solutions. Andrea Zhang grew up as the daughter of immigrants from China and became the first female CEO of the multi-billion dollar beauty and personal care company Avon. Today she leads microfinance organization Grameen America. Grameen provides poor women in the United States with loans to build small businesses. Welcome to Camp Solutions. I'm so much looking forward to talking with you about the role of business and work in society. To start, how did you come to your, to your decision to have a career in business? I never had a um, long-standing desire to be in business when I was young. I, when I graduated from college, I actually thought that I wanted to go into the Peace Corps and uh, had that idealism that said, you know what, it's time to go help the world. Um, I think that my family thought it was time to go get a job. <laughs> so at uh, 20, when I graduated, I entered the workforce um, and got a, got a job in marketing and merchandising. And that's how I started. From your perspective, how would you describe that role of business? What does business contribute? I think business has an extraordinary role to play in a just society. Um, I think there have always been stakeholders, but shareholders were probably the number one priority for corporations and business for too long. Not that they're not an important constituent, they certainly are, but they're not the only stakeholder. And I think this move to understand community, to understand employees, to understand customers, as well as shareholders has definitely been highlighted, certainly in this moment, and that is a good thing. One of the few good things that has come out of this pandemic and all of the events of 2020 have been a new lens on the important role of, of companies, of business in the future of our world. It seems that not just in the United States, but even worldwide, politics is just not able to move forward. It seems there is a stalemate in many ways between progressive and conservative forces. So the question is, can business lead where politics fails? I think that hopefully politics will not continue to fail as it has been. But I do believe that public-private partnerships and the role of the private sector is critical. Um, and I think we need leadership, uh, wherever that leadership comes from right now. I think uh, people are screaming from that. Citizens in every country are looking upwards, whether it be the government, whether it be business. Uh, but if I just stick on business for a second, they're looking to business leaders. Years ago, you know, when I grew up as a CEO, you sort of were taught not to really take a stand on something because you had consumers or clients who were on both sides of the aisle. Uh, that's no longer the case. If you don't take a stand as a public leader, as a public company leader, um, it's a huge problem. You have to take a stand customers, employees, everyone is looking to leadership to take a stand, to do the right thing, be on the right side of history. And that moment, I think, is a brilliant one. Another big issue today across the world, but definitely in the United States, is the issue of inequality, where there seem to be very few people with a lot of money and a lot of people who have not much to spend. We need to change that. Can business take a role there and lead again where politics seems to fail? I think so, absolutely. I think that um, income inequality 
uh, is at the root of a lot of, of the issues. Um, you just have vast and vast numbers of Americans who just have not been able to break through, don't have equal access to fair pay, uh, access to capital, et cetera. In the work that I'm doing today with Grameen America, you know, we see that unfortunately every day. Disproportionate number of our members who are women, entrepreneurs, low-income communities of color um, affected themselves or someone in their family by the disease, certainly affected economically as they run their small businesses, unfair access to capital, and this happened way before COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, so when you put that all together, you, you know, I think we're staring down an urgent need to use this moment to drive positive change. I'm cautiously optimistic that it unfortunately took this to catalyze what I think is not just a movement, but um, a legacy change finally uh, as we enter 2021 that will be permanent. That's my hope. Let's talk about Grameen America. Grameen came out of the initiative by Mohammed Yunus in Bangladesh in the late 1970s. That was a great initiative to support very poor women in very much a developing country. Poor women in the United States don't have the same level of underdevelopment as, if you like, the people in Bangladesh. So how do you compare Grameen America with the initiative by Mohammed Yunus? You know, it's very interesting because I think a lot of people were skeptical of whether microfinance or the Grameen methodology would work in the United States. Um, the richest country in the world, it's not India, it's not Bangladesh, it's not Africa, to your point. Um, this is the most developed market in the world. Uh, so to start a microfinance organization modeled after the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, you know, in the middle of New York, in Queens, New York, you know, a stone's throw from Wall Street. I mean, you know, there, there was a tremendous amount of skepticism. Yeah. And remember also, uh, what's extremely interesting is this was actually in 2008. Uh -huh. So while we didn't have the health element, it was the last major global economic crisis. Yeah. That's exactly when Eunice believed women needed it the most, including in the United States. Uh, and so his uh, determination prevailed and Grameen America was born. Yeah. in Queens, New York. Um, Twelve years later, it's the fastest growing microfinance organization in the United States. There are differences for sure, but I think the basic tenet that the formal capital markets disadvantages women, disadvantages people of color, disadvantages those that don't have a traditional underwriting capability and therefore shuts them out of the financial system, an organization that is essentially not trying to make profits, but trying, in fact, to be mission-based is needed in the banking system here in the United States. So that is where we are as we are in 2020. I'll come to COVID-19 and the pandemic and its impact on the program. But essentially, after 12 years, it proved in over 15 cities, 23 locations, uh, $1.5 billion of loan capital lent out to 132,000 women and their families paid back at well over 99%. So it really was proof positive that if you give a woman who is in poverty the opportunity that she has an equal right to just fair capital, affordable capital, the right to be banked, the right to have her own credit score, that in fact the impact on their, their families, children, education in the community is huge. How it is possible that exactly those poor, disadvantaged women are able to repay their loans well over 99% of the time? 
Grameen's philosophy, uh, and this goes back to Eunice's uh, innovative belief, which won him the Nobel Peace Prize, and you know the rest is history, is that if you turn the banking system on its head and say that everything traditionally in underwriting is based on your past, not your future, your past behavior, your past credit score, as opposed to your commitment to change. And so we do not expect a credit score. We are probably the only organization in the United States where a credit score is the output of the program, but not an input into getting a loan. Uh, everything is about a commitment to discipline, to attendance, to financial training, and to understand the power and, and belief that they can repay, that they can learn to establish their own credit, become banked, and make a difference. Um, attendance is critical. Every single week, they engage with at least 30 other entrepreneurs in a group. But essentially, this has been going on for 12 years, and it is that support from other women entrepreneurs, as well as their center managers, who are our loan officers, has been the alchemy of the program um, year in and year out, city after city. So you impact 130,000 plus women, and that means 130,000 households. So if you dream, you know, maybe even wildly for a moment and, and we say 10 years from now, how far can you get? Can you get? Oh, uh, hopefully it's in the millions. I mean, you know, we, we have uh, each of our members on average, you know, are, there's three children per family. So, you know, at, at that, we've already affected half a million Americans and we haven't gone nearly as far as we want to go. So I think there's the opportunity. There are, you know, tens of millions uh, 43 million people living in poverty in this country. That number was pre-COVID-19. I shudder to think what that number looks like now. Uh, uh, women are disproportionately disadvantaged even within that group. So you're talking about tens of millions as a, a addressable opportunity to make a difference. So if we are able to serve a million women and their families, um, that's still just a tiny number compared to what we hope to do. In the traditional saying, people say, go and get a job. That's the way we think. We've been taught to think. You know, when we were young, okay, you, you get an education and you go and get a job. What you do is something else, or what Carmine does really, is to make people create their own work, which is, you know, not get a job, but make a job, make your own job. Don't you think that in this day and age, that is even more important because getting the job from someone else is going to be less and less easy and probably less and less, you know, realistic. Absolutely. I mean, I think entrepreneurial opportunities are, have always been important. I would say now more than ever, when you look at the unemployment levels, to wait in line to get a job is not the answer. Uh, Professor Yunus, uh, one of my favorite points he makes is that human beings were not born to work for each other. You know, cavemen didn't wake up in the morning and say, which other caveman is going to employ me tomorrow? Humans are self-sufficient. Uh, and when people say, does, does he or she have the entrepreneurial spirit? I, I think that, that that casts the wrong light on the question. Every single person can be an entrepreneur. Uh, when uh, Grameen in Bangladesh many, many years ago went out to the countryside uh, giving small loans because women were 100% cut out of the capital system, people said, bring your husband in if you want a loan. Uh, they went out into the countryside and the original response that women have were, I'm not an entrepreneur, I don't even understand the language of finance, talk to my husband. And the answer back, which is the important answer is, 
you can be an entrepreneur. That is history talking. That is society talking, but that is not your DNA. You buy a chicken, that chicken lays eggs. You sell those eggs. You pay us back. You have established your own credit and you have an equal right to credit and you've become an entrepreneur and you can be as successful a farmer or entrepreneur as your husband or anybody else. And I think that is in the DNA and the fabric of Grameen that you don't have to have a job. You can make a job. You don't have to be an employee. You can actually create employees. Uh, one of the things that we track is how many jobs our entrepreneurs create. Many of them are sole proprietors in the early days. But, you know, I have fabulous stories of women who start off, you know, just doing a little catering business out of their home. And then, you know, a couple years later, they own a restaurant, they have six employees, and they've just created five American jobs. So not only they did not wait in line to get a job, they created them all from a little bit of capital that Grameen gave them. And I think that's the beauty and the magic of the program. So when you look at um, um, what you've achieved so far and the, the, the changes that you have been able to, to you know, make happen, you're operating in a nonprofit world. For, to what extent is what you learn there in that field you know, can be applied in the for-profit world? I think it goes both ways. I mean, I think there are things from the for-profit world that we've used as a lens to run a business. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's a non-profit business, um, but it's still a business. The difference is that if you make profits, they don't go to shareholders, they go back into the program. So for instance, at Grameen, um, many of our operations are fully sustainable. I think last year we made close to $2 million of excess income in our first operation that opened in 2008 in Jackson Heights. 100% of that, though, went back into fueling other programs, funding more members, and so it's truly a social business. So that is how we, we operate the business, and I think the learnings go both ways. So we make business decisions all the time that we would make um, to just make it more efficient, to make it scale more, um, and likewise, I think there are things that can be learned from for-profit companies, which are that um, who's the stakeholder? Back to the original conversation we had. You know, how do stakeholders win? It's not all about shareholder profits. If you could implement one rule for all business, what would that rule be? I think that the stakeholders have to be equal. I think that um, you can't have just shareholders being the critical stakeholder that drives most of strategy and economic decisions. I think that very much the community, the employee, the customer, as well as the shareholder have to be looked at in a wide lens. And given the time and the situation, those have to change their weight. What I'm impressed with is that in this moment, people have valued community and valued employees over profits. You know, it shouldn't hopefully take a COVID-19 pandemic to force that equation. But I think fluidly throughout, you know, the course of a company's history and the trajectory, you've got to make different decisions at different times. People are not, you know, they're, they're caring about when employees have to come back to work, allowing people to work virtually, um, you know, making decisions that are super tough because profits are being lost with those decisions. That's an inspiring time that's when business leadership really counts. Finally, Andrea, what is your message? What do you say to the people and often women who are, you know, trying to 
keep their households going and, and take care of their children. What, what is your message? And my message is this, you know, before we came into March of 2020, there were many studies done that if there was equal access for women to capital, uh, if women were represented everywhere from boards to senior management to equal pay, trillions of dollars of global GDP would be created. A 3% global GDP could double. Um, this was when the economy was quite healthy. But the lack of inclusion and the lack of equity uh, represented just mathematically, if nothing else, one of the biggest growth drivers. Uh, I, I think that Mukhtar Kent, the CEO of Coca-Cola, I remember being in a meeting one time when he said, you know, the biggest developing market in the world is not a country, it's women. And I fundamentally believe that. Now you go into March of 2020 and we come out of the summer and we're staring down an extraordinary need for post-COVID-19 rebuild and recovery. And I think that message just gets amplified. Without women, without giving equal access to women to be part of the recovery, there is no recovery. There's no city-by-city -city recovery. There's no national recovery. There's no global recovery. Without giving access and fair capital and chance for women to participate. And women will show us a trick. If we give them the opportunity that will be the only way, in my opinion, but the fastest way to see the rebuild and the recovery that we also desperately need to see, um, excluding them, whether it's from PPP and government stimulus all the way to all of our pay practices going forward, where the capital comes. If they are excluded post this pandemic, then we deserve to see a slower, a, a slower rebuild. It is imperative that women are given the chance and they are resilient. Uh, the women that I have seen, the tens of thousands of women who are waiting for the chance to show us that they're resilient and they're going to, they're optimistic. They've got children. They want a better life. It's the American dream. And they're ready to, to live that dream, but we have to give them a chance. Can you share one story that you have experienced with one of your you know, members, if you like, uh, that inspires you, that tells you that you're doing the right thing? Oh, I have you know, tens of thousands of stories, but let me just tell you one. Uh, Maria is an entrepreneur in Queens, New York, who got her first loan from Grameen America, you know, over 10 years ago. She runs really one of the preeminent tire uh, stores in Queens. She started after her husband could no longer run the business. She came to Grameen America for a $1,500 loan. One of the most frequently asked questions of me and our team is, what can $1,500 do in the United States? Seems like such a small amount. That $1,500 bought her her first used tires from Bridgestone and Goodyear. Uh, today, 10 years later, she has taken out the largest loan at Grameen America. I think our largest single loan was over $15,000. She has six employees. Um, with the next loan, she plans to uh, think about even opening a second location. Unfortunately, during COVID-19, she herself was affected by the illness, as were her husband and children. Uh, luckily, they have recovered, but certainly that took them out. The business, she had to actually furlough three of her employees uh, and was deeply concerned. She had drivers, taxi drivers, and even some of the frontline workers uh, and their vehicles, they needed to come and stop by. So she was able to continue 
uh, we at Grameen America were able to stand up a process to help her on the second round get a stimulus check from the government, which she was unsuccessful at doing in the first round. So she was able to get a check from the Treasury as well and the SBA and able to now kind of get back up on her feet and survive the crisis. Uh, and she's just one of tens of thousands of examples of members who really had just a hope and a dream that maybe they could do something, never planned to be an entrepreneur, now run successful businesses, create jobs, and you know they're living the American dream. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. We can make our own work and generate our own income. That is, in a time of crisis, the empowering message of Andrea Jung. As she quotes the founder of the Grameen Bank, Mohammed Yunus, human beings were not born to work for each other. This was Camp Solutions. Stay well and see you next time. Camp Solutions is presented by the World Business Academy on behalf of Just Capital. The COVID-19 Corporate Response Tracker of Just Capital is tracking the best practices of corporations serving the needs of their employees and of the communities they serve in this time of national crises. See how the best of America's largest employers are treating stakeholders amid the coronavirus crisis at JustCapital.com.